So what are you what are you looking up in your mixed gas diving by Brett Gilliam? Um, narcosis. I figure we would do a little narcosis topics in as we were okay. kind of talking about deep air last time. Sure. Do a little bit about narcosis. And well, then, I mean, and then what maybe, can you really say about? And then it, maybe next week uh, we'll we'll hit that Brett Gilliam deep dive. Okay. For the next one. Okay. He's kind of a big deal, and I, I mean, he he holds certain uh, placards or place marks in diving history, and he's got a good resume. He seems like a fun guy. I got caught adjusting my f stops. <laughs> if you're tough enough, smart enough. The Great Dive Podcast is hosted by your buddies, James and Brando. How'd you two meet? Uh, he caught me beating my narcosis. <laughs> All right, so hey, welcome back to the Great Dive Podcast with your host, Jamesy. And old Brandy, the fine girl over here. <laughs> Do you, you know, when I was a kid, my name was not very common at all. As a matter of fact, I was the only kid in my school of 600 kids named Brandon. I mean, and then all of a sudden, when I was in my like mid 20s, mid 30s, Brandon became very popular. So you go to the mall and all these parents are screaming for their kid Brandon and I'm my head's like every time I hear Brandon, I whip my, you know, what? It was uh it's these damn kids. We're James. You got James Bond. Is that where your mom picked that name? Or is it family? Or just um, out of a head? You've never asked your mother. You really don't care about your background um, that much, do you? You know that middle, it is. Well, it, my middle name's Ian. So that's Scottish. And my, my dad wanted to name me Ian. Yeah, that's a good Scottish name. I have out Ian of in the Ian family. Hunter. He's a big... Uh, oh, Ian Hunter. Uh, uh, oh, Ian uh, Hunter saying all the young dudes or something. Was that Ian Hunter? Mott the Hoople. That's the Mott the Hoople. Is right? that Ian Hunter? So my, my old man... That is Ian Hunter, my, isn't it? My old man... Yeah. Was in Mott the Hoople. Was Bill Mott. Oh, Mott the Hoople. Mott. I'm getting it. Ian Hunter, Mott the Hoople. So yeah. the I, grandparents I, were like, that's probably not... You should give him a more classic name. Aren't you amazed? Make I pulled is, out... That is, I figured that, is, that out. Make that his middle name. <laughs> I don't know. I like your dad's idea. At least he got... Uh, there's a story... Behind it, my mom wanted him to name me Jamie. Old Jamie. So my grand, so my me. grandmother was like, "You should name him James, Jamesy." And if you want to call him Jamesy, you, you know, it's like a little him. nickname. Yes, but, but when don't he, tag but when him be, with when it. When he gets Jamie, older and he's yeah. a man, you know, and he wants to enter the you know a business yeah. world, you should have a, a more because professional biz- name. The business world is all about your name. That's why my business name is Mott the Hoople. My, don't call me. But my dad was a big, he was big into martial arts as a young man. And Bruce Lee was his hero. So Brandon Lee, of course my wife's Oh, yes. Lee, yeah. So Brandon Lee was his kid. Yes. So he took, he's, that's where he got the idea. It wasn't like, though, you know, hey, you're uh, Brandon yeah, Lee. Yeah, but yeah. I think that's where the, you know. Anyway. Well, did you ever see The Crow? Uh, I've seen parts of it. I never, I, you ever watched The Crow? No. I've watched it. I was a Bruce Lee see, fan. Uh, my dad used to take us to. That was like back to, in the uh, 90s. The <laughs> Bruce Lee movies when I was a kid. You know, oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah, that was awesome. Going to watch uh, Bruce Lee. Go to some like old crappy movie theaters. Okay, so last week we were talking about the deep air dive over in uh, Red uh, Sea. Yeah, over in the Red, Red Sea. Then we got talking about deep air and the effects of narcosis, and I started perusing through the internet looking for some good old deep air stories. And I came across one from Scuba Diving Magazine from about a decade ago. This is actually October of 2006, written by a John Francis. A certain John Francis. No, the name's Francis Sawyer. Any of you guys call me Francis, and I'll kill you. Ooh. You just made the list, buddy. <laughs> Lighten up, Francis. One of these guys may save your life one day. Then again, maybe we won't. 
We can go through the whole movie. I, <laughs> that was a classic movie. Oh. And many of our listeners are like, what the f*** are they talking about? It's Stripes. Stripes. Look it up. Stripes, Francis Sawyer. So this article is... Oh, my friends call me Psycho. <laughs> psycho yes. Any of you guys, call me Francis, and I'll kill you. Ten ways to outsmart narcosis. So last week, we got into a little bit of a discussion between the rationale of why someone would go to that extreme of a depth on air. And we kind of compared and contrasted a little bit the bouncing down, the validity of can somebody take an aluminum 80, bounce down to a, to a deep depth, and come up and be fine. They Ver- can. Is I, get, I think our question more is, is it a good idea? Right, versus going down and, and, and Doing spending time, would you still make that same choice, that same guess? Yeah, well, the lead into that whole story was why would remember remember it was from a Facebook post on the accidents forum. Why would someone do this dive? The only reason, and again, I my contention was well, that's a psychological question. The why is up in his head because he wants to beat his chest and say I went down to you know seventy meters on a single tank. That's the that's yeah, the why because you're not looking the, around. Well, in his yeah, in his case, it was. The cool factor. It was yeah. the market off of the bin there. You know, yeah. I did this extreme thing on this one dive the last day of this trip. Yeah, by the most menial meaning of the word been there or the words been there. Yes, you were there. But do you remember much? Did you spend time? Were you really there? You know, I, I know I sound like a girlfriend right now. You're not really here with me. But, uh, you know. No, but you're right, right? Yeah, because you're not really uh, yeah, there. I mean, how, I mean, you listen, you know, when you remember Jacques talking about oh, yeah. doing those early tests and going down of, <clears throat> of market off in that, at that time it was like 200, 240 feet that right. they were hitting mm-hmm. and just h- how out of it they were coming mm-hmm. up thinking, you know, oh, I, I think I barely made it past a hundred. Yeah. <laughs> They're down to 300 foot. feet. Yeah. Right. So yeah. How much are you really remembering? And luckily he had a video that he could go back and watch a few times and then, oh, yeah, Not I kind remember like, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah this guy, the article the, guy in the article from last week, yeah. You know, it's like going out on that wild uh, bachelor party bender with all your buddies. Yeah. And everybody's sitting around breakfast the next day and yeah, slowly like, the I night, don't remember this. Slowly the night, <laughs> you're building it back slowly, up in your head. Slowly yeah. the whole night comes uh, back into view, you know. And you're like, I did that. I'm never drinking again. All right, so. Now, this article, I'm, I'm a little shocked at how it starts off. Yeah, especially at a scuba diving magazine, because I know there are it, things it that involves, are acceptable. It involves theft. <laughs> it involves illicit drugs. Yeah, and this guy's, like, admitting it. <laughs> so there, These are things I would I would never admit like right. in, in an article. It, it doesn't, like, uh, I guess you always have to weigh it as an author, as somebody who's, you know, trying I'm to. I'm going to weigh it up, too. He's just using his creative license yeah, but you, you and gotta, creates this character with himself just to who's tell the story. kind of an ass. I remember vividly the first time I was narked. The world was amazingly bright and warm. Every thought that passed through my mind was hilarious. I was convinced that this very moment was the best I'd ever had, though some voice in the background was telling me, uh-oh, we could get in trouble here. I just didn't care. This was too much fun. Oddly, I wasn't diving at the time. It was late at night in the dairy aisle of a big supermarket, and there are 12 of these ready whip cans. If you don't shake it up, you can hold, out, hold the bottle upright, hit the nozzle, and inhale the propellant. Yes, nice. So they weren't too much off of, you know, eating Tide Pods. <laughs> and uh, what are they doing uh, now? They're Snorting uh, condoms. Snorting condoms, yeah. What, is, what the f*** is that? I, 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 so he mentions oh. that the tail from his sorted pass has more to do with diving than you might think. The stuff that pushes Ready Whip out of the can is the same stuff that gets dentists their party invitations, nitrous oxide, a general anesthetic. And while researchers don't know for sure what causes nitrogen narcosis in divers, they think it's the same process. Obviously, general anesthesia while surrounded by doctors loaded with malpractice insurance is one thing. And doing it to yourself while breathing through some artificial gizmo underwater and with your life depending on your wits is another. Yet if you dive to 100 feet on air, your chance of getting narked is almost 100%. Well, here's the other thing. You can go and look at, you know, experimental tests, the Navy experimental diving test, all the old days where they were experimenting, trying to figure out the effects of deep diving and even going down to 60 feet. 
60 feet in a chamber and they were testing people's cognitive abilities. 60 feet, there was noticeable detriment to their cognitive abilities. It's almost, there's an effect almost immediately that is measurable Yeah, you're, when you're, you go underwater from the increased nitrogen. Yep, and, and it's, it doesn't, you know, immediately make you comatose, but... The no, pro- the process starts that's to slow not the down, point. Yes. and generally it's a it's a buildup of things, and everything's going nice and smooth, and you're just following the dive master along, you know, out of the mm-hmm. out of the hole in Devil's Throat. Yeah, no big deal, and you come back up to the shallows, and everything works out fine. It's when you start getting taxed and have to start adding mental thought and making decisions that you could slow down and stumble across some right. issues. And there is a point where the measurable cognitive impairment is uh, impactful. In other words, it's it's really at a point where it can impact your decision making a, in a detrimental way. And that's like at a the as a community or as an industry has decided it's at about the hundred foot level. And that has a direct correlation to the partial pressure of the nitrogen. Right. Is what they found. So all that being said, yeah, as you approach a hundred feet, the narcosis is more noticeable. And here's another thing, and I don't know if it's going to be addressed, is uh, human physiology. You know, one drug uh, that you take and has a certain effect does not do necessarily the same thing to somebody else, especially when you're talking psychological and mentally. I mean, it might physiologically, you know, do the same, have the same effect, especially when you, you know, you can talk to your wife about this, especially when you're looking at weight yeah, it has a ton uh, of versus dosage. Yep. So, but but what I mean by that too is, so the same weight guy, two two guys of the same weight, same build, take the same drug. They can have two noticeably different effects because human physiology is is different between individual to individual. So narcosis levels is goes along the same thing. One narcosis level for you know one guy, that's acceptable. Doesn't really isn't measurable to a certain, or is measurable, but not super detrimental to them, isn't the same for another guy. And that's what they found in those tests. One one guy can still, you know, function to a semi-normal level, while another guy is a complete bumbling idiot. Correct. You know, and up at the surface, they, they do their baseline it's not, tests. It's not linear between No, and, between it's, and it's not even day-to-day it changes. So it... The things like narcosis and all of this physiological diving stuff, it's different day-to-day and person-to-person. And person. So it's all very general, everything we say. So they know it'll fall within certain general parameters. Now, he quotes Hal Watts. Old Hal Watts. Old Hal Watts. Uh, from the 40 Fathom Grotto. Uh, exactly. And record holder, world record holder. Uh, deep air diver uh, who's trained thousands of deep divers. Yes, that was his specialty. It was tr- You'd go down to 40 Fathom Grotto and train with Hal Watts to become a super deep air diver. Do you remember that? Yep, yep, I do, I do. You did it, didn't you? You no, had I that card. Not, I did not. You lie. Card, lie. He quotes from saying, a lot of people have narcosis but don't even know it because they're never called upon to do anything but breathe. It's when something happens that requires a response that they get in trouble. Well, I think that's the whole I think that's the whole point of, you know, establishing certain guidelines and levels, you know, I should say depth limits for, for narcosis, for changing your the way you approach the dive. Yeah, I think that's the the mentality or the reasoning behind what the industry did finally is they had to establish certain depths that narcosis level and, and recreational limits, right? Right, yeah. So I mean Again, to go down to an extreme depth on air and be narked and fumble through a couple of tests and puzzles and come up and realize you're still alive and you did it is way different than going down at depth on a real dive where you have real issues that could occur that you're not in like a controlled environment and stumble across making bad decisions that lead to even worse things is why we yeah. needed a some sort of a, a, a rationale behind it this is going to be our max depth as a, as a group. And I guess kudos to the industry for at least saying, hey, let's agree to this limit for deep air dive, you know, for air diving in the recreational. Yeah, and John level. comes in and says, in fact, the, the threat of nitrogen narcosis, not DCI, is the primary reason for setting the traditional recreational depth limit at 130 feet. Nitrogen narcosis resembles a lot of entertaining drugs. First, it makes you silly, then it makes you stupid. I don't know. It doesn't make me very silly. I don't know if I have silly in me. That's the thing. 
You're always like straight and narrow. I'm pretty well. I mean, I have a little humor. I mean, if you're gonna but look for, silly is. If you're gonna look for jokes, I usually don't look to Brandon. <laughs> yokes. Don't come to me for the yokes. <laughs> no, silly. Silly is a, a like a word I don't like to. Well, it's you get not the, in my vocabulary. You, you get that happy euphoric feeling. Now, is what euphoria saying. is not silly. Sometimes. No, it may be in your world, not my world. I've seen those Maybe. euphoric guys at the club <laughs> dancing around. You they have. look a little silly. <laughs> so John mentions there's three effects that have been generally recognized. One being that your thinking process slows down. Researchers frequently give subjects puzzles and math problems to do while narc. Often they can perform as well at narcotic depth as at the surface if they take more time. If they rush, however, that's when they start to make mistakes. Yeah, I'd believe that. And that's kind of yeah. what we were talking mm-hmm. earlier is anybody can go down and deal with narcosis slowly if they've got the time and they've got the, the patience and they can really think through it. But I think we all know and can all agree that when something's not going right underwater, time seems to speed up. And, or you start rushing. Yeah. And you start rushing and fumbling and struggling. It's, it is to a certain extent. There's a, the mentality you're going into it. If you are super comfortable diving, and this is my own personal experience, and so I can't speak for anybody, but when I go diving, and I know I'm going down to the 130-foot level on air, being super confident in your abilities helps you really navigate through anything down there. I've never come back from a 130-foot dive, like, completely forgotten anything that's gone on, but I do notice the impairment, and I do know over the years going down with a confident feeling versus going down with a leery feeling a lot dependent upon who you're with as well you know what i'm saying so you go down there you're with somebody you really trust and well trained and you've trained before with the person you're yeah, very confident way, way different you effect feel, you yeah feel, way different effect yeah. than just being you know partnered up with any old person it, that, where that you're I'm like paranoid you yeah well something goes wrong yeah because you don't man. know how they're going to think you yeah. don't know how they're going to react you don't know what they're going to do what their response is going to be it's, yes. gonna, it's a totally different effect mm-hmm. the second effect is you lose multitasking ability it becomes harder to think about several things at once and you tend to become fixated on a single idea while thinking about where you're going and what you're looking at you also have to be aware of your buoyancy your depth your tank psi how you're feeling, your buddy, how he's feeling, and more. If and the prop- fish. The fish you're trying to uh, share gas with. This octopus doesn't want my octopus. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, octopus. Take my octopus. If a problem arises, you have to be able to consider several options and switch to plan B quickly if plan A doesn't work. Narcosis, however, reduces your perception of danger and your options for dealing with it. Third is you lose short-term memory. Few of us practice emergency skills like weight ditching and air sharing. When narked, we may forget how to do them or forget to do them entirely. What is this weight ditching? This is 2006. And it doesn't matter. I know. It's I still get, the same right now. The I whole, get, this whole idea, I know. I, 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 every time it comes up, I'm like, why is this like even... Well, I get the, it should be a very, industry, very, very, very last resort, well, but I mean, it, it should never get no, there. The, the industry still teaches a oh, viable yeah. option is if the shit hits the why? fan, I can always ditch weights and shoot to the surface. That's the lawyer, you know, right. out of the 12 people that decide what's going to be taught, 10 of them are lawyers and only seven of them have dived before. Okay. So that's how this decided. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you there. This is, this is a nitrogen narcosis article not a weight not a weight ditching we'll well, get to that one another week god damn it (laughs) likewise i sound like henry fonda there god damn it likewise a new bc or computer with unfamiliar controls may become confusing wait there's more he says actually there's some good news about how nitrogen narcosis affects your mind one it doesn't get worse with time after about two minutes at a given depth you're as as narked as you're going to get well true that stands to reason though right? right It doesn't build up. It You're builds still, up with increased depth, not increased right. time at that depth. You, you, it, well, it's just like the absorption of nitrogen. You, you saturate yourself, right? Yes. And it only, you can't absorb any more. When you ascend, it goes away almost immediately. And three, there's no long-term damage. Once you've surfaced, it leaves no after effects or permanent harm, as far as anyone knows. Yeah, but here's the thing. Everyone that does go down diving 
to depths where they're going to experience significant narcosis, they're all going to die. You know that. Yes. I just thought I'd point so that out. My, <laughs> so is my mom, who's never dove. All right, so how do we beat narcosis? Yes, the exact mechanism of nitrogen to narcosis is a mystery, but we've learned enough about it to understand how to manage the problem. Number one, we start by assuming you will be narked. As a rule of thumb, most divers have some slight you impairment. You will be narked. You will be knocked on this dive young dive master. As a rule of thumb, most divers have some slight impairment at 60 feet, though it might not become no noticeable until, say, 100 feet. At 130 feet, virtually all divers have significant, though still manageable, narcosis. Bottom line, you could probably avoid all detectable nitrogen narcosis by staying above 60 feet, but you'd miss a lot of good diving. For no good reason. For no good reason. Word. So here we are. We're, we're down on our vacation. We're doing a week of diving. Yeah. And, and keep in mind, this is different than doing the... 70 meters 70 meters going to 7 meters. I mean, this is doing like that 35 meters. You know, going yeah. to going to 100, 110, 120 feet, you know, maybe 130 feet doing the deep dive, the the big deep dive of the of the week trip of a typical recreational trip and going and realizing, yeah, I'm going to have a narcosis problem. Right. It's, you know, th there's ways to to do that and and keep it so that you're not completely obliterated yeah. at well, that depth. You right? mitigate it. And going you into it like already nervous about the narcosis. Like my my wife was... She was narked when she left she, the driveway this morning. <laughs> she, I noticed. She struggled with going to 62 feet, you know? Like yeah. she was so horrified out of her open water class that at 60 feet she was going to be shit-faced. <laughs> like, let's go. <laughs> let's go to 60... I'm like, I'm, at, <laughs> I'm down here waiting for you. <laughs> So, Shots all around. So number one, avoid task loading. Remember, the KISS principle. Keep it simple, stupid. You've got a diminished amount of attention to devote to everything. And if you concentrate almost all of it on F-stops, you won't have enough left for the little things like, say, how much air do you have left? Diving with only one piece of new equipment at a time is always a good rule. But below 100 feet, it's a rule to live by. My only thing is this might be... A good rule for the average person but like somebody with an above average intelligence like myself i don't have a problem you know adjusting my f-stops no a good point you, you we've already spoken about this i mean you've already talked about it but you're, well, you're it goes narrowing back to the focus yeah, yes, you're narrowing the focus and if i mean if all you have to do is follow the dive master you can probably deal with a little bit of narcosis at 120 feet for a couple of minutes at the beginning of the dive. And the dive master's there. What can happen? He's good. He's got split he's fins immune. on. He's, he was immune to. He's a martial artist with split fins. He's an underwater martial artist. With he's split carrying fins. a pony bottle for all 12 of us because he knows golden. it's the deep dive. <laughs> Stay golden, pony bottle. Yes. Overlearn your skills. This is, in fact, similar to reducing task loading, but applies especially to emergency skills. Well, I think we've said this before. It doesn't matter if you're at 100 feet, 60 feet, or whatnot. Yeah, the, the consequences are reduced in the sense of their severity when you're a little shallower. But isn't it nice to be able to handle things instinctively? Hey, underwater is underwater. And you, you, you run into a little, little issue like somebody didn't open a valve all the way up. And they're running out of air in 30, 40, 50 feet. Yeah. To hesitate on what that swiping of your hand across the throat signal is, is does he really mean out of air right now? Right. To, to hesitate on that, right, for just a few seconds could be enough to turn cause a panic. Uh, yeah, to cause some panic and turn a easily avoidable situation into something much worse. Don't depend on doing anything you have to think about. I mean, the only thing about that is you have to think while you're dying. Well, that's what End we're saying about overlearn the skills. Yes. If you have to sit there and process it right. in depth mentally, well, if you're also dealing with narcosis, yeah. you don't know the skill well, well enough. So you should be training so that the response is instinctual Absolutely to a certain extent, correct. Right? Use a slate. Free up some RAM by using your slate. Don't rely on remembering your dive plan. Write it down. I write it on the back of my buddy's tanks. As you're following them, you can just read it? Yeah, I'm like, what, did, what was I supposed to do here? Hold on. Come here. You can look at your tank. 
A slate is also useful in detecting narcosis. See below for right, forget Are that. you scratch that? Yeah, are you tests? Don't try to remember what the fish looks like or how the camera controls work. Write it down. Schedule gauge checks. I have a better idea. Maybe learn your camera before you're taking it down to 130 feet. Well, again, so rather than just writing it down, yeah. like how about you get really familiar with the camera before you take it down? Or if you're going to do that dive, eh, let's maybe the off, camera doesn't off, go. Lay off the camera on that dive. Yeah, if you, you probably be... don't. You probably don't either need to take the pictures or you don't need to do the dive if you're going to struggle with one or the other. Thank you. And that would be the more logical approach as opposed to writing down. Now you've really task loaded yourself because now you have to read what do I do to get a certain effect with a camera. And then you still have to enact that. You still have to do that. And if you're reading it, if you need to read it to know what to do, you're probably going to have some difficulty actually doing it on the camera underwater. Absolutely. I'm going to go on a limb and say that. but I don't think there's... An- it's no not much of a limb here. No, not at all. So th- this whole use a slate thing, I'm not uh, in 100% concurrence with that, my personal I opinion. I get where he's going with it, but I think we, you and I have, have thought it through one step more, which is yeah. don't you need slate. to write it down <laughs> to remember it. You don't know it well yes. enough. Yes, exactly. So one of the, something needs to give. Especially since the, the recommendation just prior to that was overlearn skills. And then it says overlearn skills except... Then write them down. If you don't well, get a chance to overlearn them, exactly. just, write them down. just write them down. And stick them in a pocket. You uh-huh. can't remember which pocket the slate's in. Uh, Schedule gauge checks. When you're going deep, agree with your buddy on gauge checks at specific intervals. Say every two minutes. Hmm. Does one of you consistently miss the two-minute deadline? He may be narked. How's your time judgment when you're narked? Let me ask you this. You go to the bar. You have a few beers. You start at seven. You look up. Closing time. You can't stay here. You got You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here kind of thing. What the hell? Time is one of the first things. Your time, conception of time is one of the first things that goes out the door. And if you my are, humble opinion. If you are scheduling gauge, gauge checks, checks, you're an idiot. Because you're, well, <laughs> we will do this gauge check at 1013. Synchronize your watches. Hear me out. Hear me out. <laughs> If you are scheduling gauge checks because you're now doing the deep dive, but you don't do these gauge checks as a routine on your other dives, you might probably, be a redneck <laughs> you're probably, if you're scheduling gauge checks. You're, you're probably not going to be remembering to do them. Yeah. Narked or not. Like the first time you start throwing something into the mix, yeah. you're probably not Johnny on the spot with the timing of it. I like that. You're not Johnny on the spot. Schedule buddy checks. Jamesy on the spot. Agree to look at each other at specific <laughs> intervals. Say every three breaths less often maybe what, what the okay i thought this make eye, article make was going to be all right i'm but i'm what uh go ahead make read it. that again because schedule buddy checks agree to look at each other at specific intervals say every three breaths less often make eye contact and exchange okay signs now this is the dumbest thing i've ever heard <laughs> i know of. it's stupid because as any any student of mine knows that my most hated signal in the world is the okay are you signal okay yeah because it literally means i have no f- clue what you're w- trying to ask me well, but if i show you the signal <laughs> you'll look away and think i know what i like to do when i was teaching more often would be when i'm walking with a couple of the students i just do the, i'd throw up an okay sign Every time they start a sentence, I throw up an okay sign and wait for the... I'm like, how, how, how do you like oh, this? Oh, that's great. That's yeah. great. I'm stealing they, Finally, idea. they'd go, why are you doing that? I, I'd say, because this is what I don't want you to do to my ass underwater. And you shouldn't be doing it to other divers. You know, part of being a good diver is you, you got to look good. And what that means is you got to look the part. And I also teach my divers, you got to talk the part. And it isn't about looking cool and being cool and all that. It's about if you start to act the part, you will become the part. We are what we think. So if you start thinking like a diver, you will become a diver. And that means that goes to the communication thing. You know, I'm getting to this. Bring it up on the surface, how people act underwater. Would you do that on the surface? The are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? Every two seconds. And again, this this thing where you schedule when we're going to look at each other every third breath or something. So now we, we talk, this guy's so, you know, backwards. One minute, don't task load. 
you know, you'll focus, the narrowing of your focus is really bad under narcosis, right? You'll be narrowing your focus. And yet you're telling them to narrow your focus to look at each other every third breath, check your gauge every two minutes, bring a slate so you can read what to do with your camera because you don't know it and you're not going to be able to do it underwater. Do you see what I, where I'm getting with this? Is the guy go backtracks mm-hmm. like over his whole premise, which is focal narrowing and you know become instinctual with your response well yeah and, and if you uh can't make it simple yeah. over complicated <laughs> well and that's the thing is this keeping it simple no, every third not. breath we're going to look at each other and here's what's going to happen 130 feet am i my third breath <sighs> is it my third breath on my exhale my should i count every exhalation or inhale? where was it oh crap i forgot oh, my fourth breath i'm looking over ah. at the fifth i'm off sync here it was supposed to be on every multiple of three, three don't look six, at me nine twelve i'm only on two is 33, or this is the 11th multiple of three. Have we looked at each other 11 times? What the hell, Dude. Man? Yeah. Anyway, I'm not, so far I'm not a super big fan of the Whippet guy. Did that crab just talk to me? <laughs> <laughs> yes. That, that, that crab, crab just spoke, called me by name. He spoke to me. Ay, ay, ay. Descend slowly. There is some evidence that rapid compression causes more narcosis. Now, this I would, in my experience, I think it it's a more rapid onset well, of it, which can be... It's like the old uh, drinking a beer versus shotgun a right. beer. Well, but the thing is, he also said, and they show this, that your narcosis isn't going to get any greater than your maximum depth narcosis level, right? What it is is just a faster onset yeah. when you just blow down. Stay clean and sober. Sound obvious, but even over-the-counter medications can promote nitrogen narcosis. Some experts think the nitrogen-alcohol interaction may be especially strong because they have similar effects on your nervous system. One plus one may equal five, in other words. A hangover can also promote nitrogen narcosis. Yeah, the effects of alcohol can exacerbate it and exaggerate it greatly. Uh, but that's what, like any drug or chemical you intake into your body, you don't know the effects of combining the two. Nitrogen narcosis combined with some alcohol or even combined with something that has really no effect on the surface might exaggerate the narcotic effects underwater. And this is something your wife, who's a pharmacologist, uh, would be able to even comment on. You know, the interaction between drugs is a huge it's very complicated, and, and it doesn't. It's not linear. It's not like oh, this this gets me a little stoned, and this gets me a little stoned. The two of them together get me twice as stoned. No, no, no. It can be like ten times as stoned. It's not even exponential. It can be insane. It can kill you. So the th- the same thing is with narcosis because essentially, essentially, narcosis is like a drug interaction with your body because the chemical is nitrogen. All right, and the way it's interacting with your nervous system the way your brain is, your cognitive abilities of your brain. And, and they know that it, you know, they know some things that are going on in the absorption of nitrogen through the myelin sheath of the nervous system. That's part of it. Nitrogen goes, you know, in easier. And the and fat content in. and stuff like that. Yeah. All that stuff has been figured out to a certain extent. At least they, they realize, you know, this is where the interaction is happening. We don't know the exact, you know, mathematical chemical process, but we're getting it. So it is so a he, drug is all I'm trying yeah. to get at. It's so he mentions better dial back those margaritas if you're diving deep tomorrow. Pretty straightforward. Well, well what about uh, mo- mojitos? Is that okay? I bet he would say write down the number of mojitos you had. So that you can remember when you're down there. I think you would say, "Tell your buddy every two minutes, how <laughs> every, many more, <laughs> every how third many mojito on the surface will well, look see, at that's each how other." You, see, that's how you and I do it. Is <laughs> the the night before the deep dive, we we stand track and remind each other we're on our second mojito. Well, we and look at two, each other at every mojito, mo- every other two more mojito. mojitos. We we as long as we stay on track, we know we're good for the dive tomorrow. We should tell people that we don't really drink mojitos. We're beer and whiskey fellers. Oh, okay. I think we're overcompensating on this. Be warm and rested and confident. Cold fatigue and anxiety have all been shown in experiments to increase nitrogen narcosis. I think that's what we were talking about earlier is Mm -hmm. how you approach that dive mentally is going to have a big effect on it. And it's not just what you want. It's the reality of it, right? I mean, like lying to yourself that you're confident and being confident are two Two big differences. 
Well, I think, you know, you'll see that in the dive community period. We've been talking a lot about nitrogen narcosis, but I know, you know, you and I mentioned quite often the effects of carbon dioxide. And he does mention here when talking about uh, cold and fatigue and anxiety that high levels of carbon dioxide in particular seem to increase narcosis. That can be caused by fatigue, by fitting hard into a current, or by breathing a hard regulator, or by shallow breathing that often accompanies anxiety. Try to take slow, deep breaths with complete exhalations. Yeah, I don't think we can stress this one enough. I think it's one of the underrated and underspoken, under-talked about areas of scuba diving. Uh, is that carbon dioxide levels in your blood? The reason I think it's under under uh, what's the word? I don't want to say exaggerated, but under under em- under underestimated, emphasi- underemphasized. Very good, thank you. The reason it's or the thing about it being underemphasized is you don't really hear about it in your open water 101. You don't really hear about it even in advanced or your deep class. I mean, you might get a little smidgen in it if you've got a good instructor. He's going to talk about it, but the reality is is that carbon dioxide is one of the biggest culprits of the diving accident vicious cycle. And as you go deeper, we know that the pressure increases the density of the gas we're breathing. And that is directly related to our exchange rate, how we can exchange carbon dioxide for oxygen, you know, as we breathe. If that carbon dioxide is not exchanging as efficiently as it was up on the surface, we start building it up. And when we're working harder, for example, in a current, overweighted, struggling with poor fin technique, using your hands, using different muscles in your body that you don't normally use. Poor buoyancy means you're kicking all the time. And this is one of the things, I know you and I look at, at divers, at students especially, when we're teaching. We're trying to teach them proper buoyancy trim and finning technique, right? Swim technique. And you look at them and you look at their, their attitude in the sense of, are they, are they feet down in the water? Where are their fins pointing? And are they kicking all the time? You know, we tell them, what's one of the hardest things to do in scuba diving? I just say, stand still. Just stay still. They can't do it. It's very difficult for most divers. Am I right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So because when you... most divers are constantly moving their feet at, at, to some level, which leads to a perpetual state of motion for them. Exactly. And even if they're out of... Say they're trying to stay trim, so they're constantly moving their feet. Even if their overall weighting is fine, their trim is out. So their ass keeps sinking, and their fins keep sinking, so they're always finning to keep up, or they don't know right. how and to proper body mechanics sure, to sure. keep it and, uh, and, trim. And physics would say that kicking your feet in that manner is going to send you to the surface. Exactly. So if you you're, if you're staying at that level, you're using your entire body's every muscle in your body to keep from going up mm-hmm. to keep moving forward rather than the upward motion that physics is trying to send you yeah or you're, you're overweighted or you're overweighted mm-hmm. and you're negatively buoyant and you're swimming just to, to stay, stay up, up off the bottom yeah all that is like building co2 relentlessly through your body yeah and, and it's that, especially mm-hmm. exacerbated when you're in four to five atoms yes and so you build up the carbon dioxide much, much quicker, four to five times as fast, because our body reads off of the partial pressure of the gas, not the content, not the percentage. It's a partial pressure. That's why oxygen is toxic as you go deeper. Oxygen on the surface at 100%, you could breathe. Oxygen underwater, you can't breathe past 20 feet. It's the same thing with nitrogen. Nitrogen, it's the partial pressure increasing. Not the content. We still have the 80%-ish, 79%, and I, I think, right? Uh, yeah, right. And this is one that a lot of new divers don't realize is that they, they may have learned a little bit about the narcotic effect of nitrogen and, and this very thing. Mm-hmm. And Martini's Law, you might yeah. have learned. It's yeah, that yeah. drunken feeling as you're going deeper. But a lot of new divers just don't realize it because they're not exposed to the fact that every single gas has it's some a, sort of narcotic, narcotic potency to it. Yeah, I mean, he, with helium being one of the least, if hardly at all, narcotic effect, and that's why it's chosen as a diluent type of gas, a, a gas that is uh, inert, that our body just breathes in and out, and we don't absorb the night, you know, like we do with nitrogen. What the helium does is it's so, the difference in density of helium is so great that it thins out the gas tremendously. So you can you can in effect breathe at almost the same density as on the surface down at 100 and 200 feet. It really is nice and thin so the gas exchange is almost normal. 
right, you're getting people, rid of that CO2. A lot of people don't realize that nitrogen, breathing nitrogen or breathing helium is really the same thing in so much as yeah. it's just a, a filler gas taking exactly. up space. Exactly, it's an inert gas. Yeah. That, that on the surface, it wouldn't do... Right, it, as long it, as it you still do, had the oxygen in, in it. In right, it, yeah, right? it's just a filler that wouldn't do better or worse one way or the other. Mm-hmm. But at depth, right, as that partial pressure increases, we have a greater effect by by the luck of having nitrogen in our air that, that we that's just what we got handed to us with our atmosphere but mm-hmm. with science we can throw a smarter inert gas in there that is doing that same filler that has less of an effect on yeah. our body overall yeah the nitrogen narcosis is starts to be de- demeaned decreased whatever the narcosis levels decrease because helium doesn't have the same narcotic effect as nitrogen so we displace the nitrogen with some helium nitrogen narcosis is lessened we can put it to whatever degree we're comfortable with when we do the math calculation but it also back to the carbon dioxide one of the real great effects of that helium is thinning of the gas so that making it easier to breathe it's easier to breathe you're not breathing a syrupy dense gas now that makes the exchange very difficult at the alveol alveolar level alveoli level anyway at the lung level where the exchange is happening when it's really dense it's harder to move back and forth. So you're not moving as much gas. So CO2 levels are increasing as you breathe. Yeah, the effect of just breathing at that depth makes... Plus the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Plus the it, effect. Makes it harder to breathe, yeah. which... You're working just, harder just to breathe. Which just is that downward spiral. Mm-hmm. Ascend slightly. Often narc divers find that their head's clear if they ascend only 10 feet or so. Right, and that's a matter mm-hmm. of just dropping the partial pressure of the nitrogen right. so that it isn't as enriched of a narcotic effect. Be positive and motivated. Again, experiments have shown that divers who have a strong desire to conquer narcosis and believe they can actually do. So being in the right state of mind for the dive, being ready, knowing that I've got this chance of narcosis and trying to mitigate it along the way rather than overloading yourself with a bunch of complicated problems which are just going to make things worse. Yeah, it is a mindset going into it, which kind of determines how it affects you. Like I say, well, we've said this already. If you go into it with a little paranoia and a little hesitancy, you're going to feel that exaggerated exaggerated effect uh, down at depth. In my experience, and I think this guy's validating that, uh, and I think most divers would admit to that, said if you were a little leery of the dive going in and you're heading down to 130 feet when you get down there you're not going to be all of a sudden going yeah this is going awesome you're going to be okay i'm ready to go kind of thing you're not going to enjoy it so what is in a name he goes through a pretty nice description of narcosis overall far more than what most divers were typically being taught along the way i mean um Back when, you know, back in the early days of, of scuba, and, and I mean, I, when I look at this old Patty manual that I have from 1990, you know, nitrogen narcosis is described as adverse effects from oxygen or contaminated air are rare in recreational diving, but the effects of nitrogen need to be considered in every dive. While breathing air at depths approaching 100 feet, you can experience an effect called nitrogen narcosis. And it goes on to describe the anesthetic quality of nitrogen at depth. But when we look at this article, um, John Francis goes into pretty good detail describing nitrogen narcosis has been called everything from compressed air intoxication to rapture of the deep. More properly, it is inert gas narcosis because any inert gas, even some non-inert gases can cause it. Nitrogen just happens to be the major inert component in air and therefore the main cause of narcosis in recreational diving. Right. At 79% in normal air, it's the major gas component that our bodies are absorbing. So, yeah, it's going but to... again, all, of, all gases have some exactly. narcotic potency. Yeah, and they've tested most all of them. I mean, they've tested hydrogen, helium, of course, argon, neon. I mean, the Navy Experimental Dive Unit has done this. Comex, uh, commercial diving people have done this. So they do, they do have a, a whole list of narcotic potencies of, of these different gases. So Exactly why compressed inert gas makes divers loopy is still a matter of speculation. But as far back as 1899, H.H. H. Meyer noted that 
the more easily an inert gas is absorbed by fat, the more narcotic it is. That's Meyer-Overton, right? Right, yep. Yeah. For example, helium is about one-fourth as soluble in fat as nitrogen, and about one-fourth as narcotic. Xenon, which is used for surgical anesthesia, is about 25 times as soluble as nitrogen, and about 25 times as narcotic. That's why I carry a little xenon with me wherever I go. This Meyer-Overton hypothesis led A.R. Benke, R.M. Thomas, and E.P. Motley to the conclusion in 1935 that it was the absorption of nitrogen by fat and nerve cells that causes narcosis. Yeah, it's that, I think I've mentioned that, yeah, the myelin sheath is a fatty covering of your nerves. Yeah, fat, fat and nerves work together tremendously, and they, that's what allows certain, uh, and I'm going off memory from way back when, but that's what allows certain drugs to get through into the nerves, you know. And there's also a blood-brain barrier yeah, there's and things the, like that. Uh, that it's, um, you know, these different gases have, you know, they, they have this lipid solubility test that's it, that, yeah. that well, looks at yeah, yeah. this very thing mm-hmm. of how easily they're absorbed. Well, that's because that's and, what they believed is the deciding factor. And it, there's a correlation in in the sense of they notice there's a correlation, but they don't know for sure that that right. is And then from it. that, they, they've yeah. created this scale, this Meyer-Overton mm-hmm. scale that lets us look at these mm-hmm. different gases and we can, you know, help determine the narcotic potency at depth, which is why we start putting in, you know, here today in 2018, we start putting in a little bit more science and thought into what, you know, not can I breathe air and 200 feet of water, it's what is what is a more logical gas to breathe at that depth that's going to allow me to stay more clear-headed and make decisions rather than fighting through narcosis? Can you fight through it? Sure, you can fight through it. But it, would it be better to be clear-headed? Well, it's, it's, uh, I, don't, I don't like to keep saying the, the logic and science. It's just wise. It's just smart. I don't know. If you're exchanging logic for smart and wise, I don't know. But in science for smart and wise, just use your noggin. Are you narked? Yeah. Yeah, I am. I can tell. <laughs> what little, the hell's in that? What'd you put in that I coffee? put a little xenon in my coffee this morning. <laughs> they say it's 25 times more powerful than nitrogen. They say, we were doing xenon shots they, on they, the way here. They, they say it's 25 times more narcotic than your normal coffee creamer packet. <laughs> yes, that's word on the street. I'll have that xenon cream. So he goes through a couple of... Uh, narcosis tests the first one being the finger test <laughs> ah i think uh, I would, my buddy's flipping I'd be... <laughs> me off. my buddy's flipping me off again he must be narc the doctor uses that line on you at the uh my doctor needs to do a finger test on me <laughs> okay. once a year at this age right <laughs> exactly <laughs> brett gilliam a record a depth record holder on air takes credit for inventing this one every few minutes hold up a finger and your buddy's got to give a response back, which is one finger more than what you just held up. What we used to have this uh, kind of the same thing in the service. So you know, my part of my job was uh, flying. We'd fly over the enemy territory, pick up the wounded, and I'd fly them back. But the thing is, if you crashed, you had certain check words or code words, and it was like that. You'd have a number for the day, and you were you were supposed to like check it. So. To know if I was with a friendly or an enemy, you'd yell, you know, three. And if the number for the day was seven, he had to yell four. But it was a little more complicated than that. Okay, I got But you. it's the same kind of, it's a military thing. And I know Brett has an extensive military background. Me and Brett, military. So so maybe uh, maybe we'll, we should go through his record dive here coming up. Yeah. Because it's a pretty good... Yeah, it's a pretty it's a pretty good story of, of him hitting that that deep air record dive. It's pretty maybe, exciting. Maybe we talk a little bit more than just his deep air dive because Brett Gilliam, you know, and I when I was coming up in in the diving in diving and you know learning, Brett was that's when he was just doing all his deep diving and whatnot, and he was kind of a notable figure in the diving community. He has a great background. He. Uh, I really like him. I mean, I used to love reading his stories and listen to him. He seems he's a, like a fun guy. He'd be a he's great a guy, guy to you'd go like have to go hang out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he seems yeah, like yeah, a really yeah, fun yeah. guy. Yeah, he is. A, you can tell he's you know military kind of 
back, that kind of thing. He can sit around, have beer, loves loves what he does. I mean, he truly is passionate about diving and loves it. And, and has been, been doing it, decades, all, of it yeah. all his life. I mean, he, he basically was brought up in it to a certain extent uh, and has a great background that is very impressive. But he's definitely put a, a fin stamp oh, and the of community. fin print and the, yes. on this community, no doubt Oh, about. by all means. He should, well, I'm sure he's in the Divers Hall of Fame. The other, the other thing is, you know, let's uh, just put it out there. Let's take all the political bullshit out of <laughs> out of it because I mean within the community these people sometimes I think they'd if they were in the same room they might you know, strangle each other. Even though they oh, both yeah, yeah, love yeah. diving, right, they just right, have right. different approaches. Well, that's, that is part of the problem is, is the politics. There you go. Get so, oh my gosh. It sucks away from the enjoyment. Well, of the you, whole. you put three or four letters in front of, yeah. you know, your name, mm-hmm. you know, because of your agency and then yeah. immediately you're just not allowed to to be friends with some people, unfortunately. Well, that's the whole world though, isn't it? I mean, look at the way we've come. So if we can, in the spirit of uh, friendship and joining hands together being in the common community of diving we can throw the politics right out uh, the window and say there are people in the community that have contributed greatly that you may or may not agree with the way they did things but they did do things and they love the activity so they love diving they love diving that's what i mean they love diving just like we do they have to they share the passion so if we all share the passion why can't we just get together and recognize people who have contributed whether you agree with their philosophy or not, they still have contributed. So they did have a, an input and are responsible for the point we are at today. <laughs> okay, the next one is the slate test. Every few minutes, check your depth and PSI and write them on your slate. Check your buddy's depth and PSI and write them on your slate too. Your buddy does the same on his slate. Now each of you has to point to your own and your buddy's numbers on both slates. And the slates have to agree. That's the slate test. And if it doesn't, you bolt. Drop your weights and go. Pee in your wetsuit. Pee at first. Piss your wetsuit. Piss yourself. Then drop your weights and go. Next, approach your limits gradually. Each diver experiences narcosis differently and at different depths. Some are more susceptible than others. Don't go directly from your last open water certification dive to a 130-foot dive. Instead, test your personal envelope cautiously. Well, that yeah, that goes without saying. It's uh, shouldn't say. I mean, that, it doesn't go without be, saying. That should be the general rule. With diving, period, is you don't go and say, okay, I just got my open water card. I'm going to drop down to 100 feet because all I needed, it said on the on the you know sign up sheet, all I needed was an open water card, and we can go do this reef dive to 100 feet. Have some sense. If you are not a regular diver, you know. Push your limits over the week that you're there. And you, you build know? yeah, you, you build, build up, up to that. Yeah, right. Yeah. You gain, gain your confidence. I mean, the safety stop, in my opinion, is the major check for most divers coming up, right? I mean, if you if you can't pull off a three minute stop at fifteen feet coming up from a dive, there's no reason whatsoever to push your depth mm-hmm. any deeper than where you just were. I mean, like in other words, if you're struggling from coming up from 40, 50 feet and, and pulling off a safety stop for three minutes. You, you got to re-examine yeah, what you, you're doing. You don't, yeah, you don't need to be going to 80 on the next mm-hmm. dive, and you sure as hell don't need to do the 100-foot the dive. Right. You need to get yourself comfortable again because you should have been able to, you should have been able to pull a 15-foot stop out of open water course when you got that card. Am I right? Oh, I mean, yeah. am I crazy for saying this? That's that should be the to. minimum standard. I mean, according to the standards, that's a minimum standard. If you haven't dived in a while and you, you're going on vacation and you jump down to 60 feet and you're struggling at the 15-foot stop, just like James said, reevaluate. Maybe I need to get a little more practice and get comfortable. Yeah, when you're and when you can pull off the the 15 feet for three minutes, then you look at staging it from 30, 20, Mm -hmm. 10, you know, Mm -hmm. moving, moving gradually in, in those stages. And then once you can start doing that, well, okay, now I can start pushing some depth. You know, I'm always confused as to why scuba isn't like any other sport where you have to practice. 
In order to be competent at it, you have to practice it. Whereas scuba doesn't seem to have that mentality. It's, uh, I haven't dived all year, but you know, once a year I go down to Cayman or Cozumel or whatever dive destination you want to go to, Bonaire, you name it. And you're, uh, you're on Honduras. the same boat on the same dive as people who've been, who, who, who do practice regularly. Right. But it, everybody's thrown on that same boat. But it's not like, you know, there's no peer pressure from the community to say to people, you need to practice, you know, and yeah, the, the ramifications of not practicing are much greater than, say, uh, racquetball or tennis or whatever you decide to do once a year or once every two years. I mean, you go snow skiing somewhere. Right. I mean, there's a bunny hill. That's where you start. Yeah. That's where you start. And mm-hmm. and a lot of people, I mean, do people go right up to the black diamond? How do they look coming down, uh, though? And don't they get don't a little know. bit of know. ridicule? I mean, the, well, I'm not be, a big skier. Well, because I think skiing, that's the but, difference. Yeah. Is you can sit in a lodge with a pair of binoculars, laughing your ass that's off with a with yeah. a with a well, with he, a drink at yeah. the idiot coming down the Black Diamond Hill, who's got who two broken be, legs for the rest of the week, be, uh, who should be on the bunny hill. But you can't sit there in the hotel and watch the the diver make the shitty ascent from forty feet. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, while you're having a cocktail, laughing it up, who should have been doing a couple of beach. Short dives in 20 feet of water. Right. The behavior test. Inappropriate behavior in your buddy is difficult to pin down. Harder when it's in you. Is he or are you acting silly or euphoric, zooming around like a sea lion for minutes on end, for example? Diving is supposed to be fun, of course, but this much fun? Sometimes diving takes the form of anxiety instead of euphoria, and this can be easier to detect. Do you find yourself constantly holding your reg in your mouth with your hand or holding your pressure gauge in front of your face? Right, You may be narked. Well, you are narked. It's, it's to what level? To what level, you know, right? Everybody's narked. Okay, and he closes off the article with, can you adapt to nitrogen narcosis? Scientists are doubtful, but many divers who frequently go deep believe they have become less susceptible to narcosis. That belief was behind Brett Gilliam's training for his then record dive to 452 feet on air in 1989. He worked down to that depth with more than 600 dives over the course of a year, and at least 100 of them were deeper than 300 feet. That's why he believes he was not so narked at 452 feet that he couldn't do. That's why he believes he was not so narked at 452 feet that he couldn't do a series of math problems and more to the point, return to the surface alive. Yeah, I remember when this was going on, that was his whole thing is I worked my way up to this. I didn't just go grab a tank and jump into 450 feet. He made many, many dives over the course of a year training for this and trying to mitigate or offset the effects of the nitrogen narcosis. Right, feel how the narcosis yeah. comes on, get used to how it comes on, learn to deal with it. And paying attention to minute differences, minute changes in your mental state you know that kind of thing and and probably i would imagine he's testing himself all the way down and he's not going bam down to 400 feet or 300 feet each time he's testing himself every step of the way and and comparing and contrasting the results every time oh i'm sure he was spending hours afterwards uh over dinner and and the rest of the evening i don't think it was over going through and drinks brett gilliam did not drink or eat dinner yeah (laughs) Over dinner yeah. drinks and going through, you know, much like, you know, Jacques and the crew did, like extensive talks of overanalyzing yeah. every little detail. You got to debrief problem, everything. Yeah. yeah, the problem is so many divers from that point on have looked at it and go, hey, Brett did it. Let's do this. Yeah. <laughs> Let's grab a couple 80s and right. uh, go, uh, go, go over the wall as deep well, as so, we can go. Yeah, so many people believe diving period is a thing about the equipment. So if I buy that same equipment, I should be good, you know, and I'm certified. I can breathe underwater. I mean, how many people believe that scuba diving is just breathing underwater? Ask people. Oh, yeah. that's I mean, how hard yeah. it can be. Exactly. That's why you said, come on, give it a shot. But Well, it is if you don't care. If you don't care about the... You're breathing, but... <laughs> yeah. I, get, I would think that the people that say that, oh, it's just breathing underwater, then they jump in and they breathe and they start going a little deeper and realize, I'm well, in for go, a world well, of hurt. They go, well, well the, the majority of them go... Uh, I, I need live. a better BCD, oh, you know, yeah. or to, a better to, regulator. Uh, better oh, fins. oh, I need some better fins to, uh, to help fins me move. To, yes, my oh, snorkel. I need a, I need I need a, blue a snorkel. I need a dive computer that that is bigger numbers and talks to me. Yeah, has a different it, algorithm. That's gonna that's gonna change your because I'm when I'm when I'm narked and I'm anxious and I'm panicking. It's hard to read that thing because I'm so yeah. freaked out. Yeah. Well, it's not. <laughs> 
Newsflash, it's not the numbers yeah. that's causing the problem. Nope, it's not yeah. the size of the numbers that's causing the problem. I think that's one of the things that kind of gets under my skin a little. And when people don't examine the root cause, they just look at that immediate, and the immediate fix. And like you say, and I know you run into it every day at the dive shop, is they're having a certain, they'll come in saying, I'm having such and such a problem controlling my buoyancy. I need a new BCD. I'm having such and such a problem, you know, I don't feel... 100% clean when I come up from a dive. I'm just going to get a new computer. It, things to that effect. Right, but the but, equipment but you can look at them. for a skill problem. Right, you can look at them and, and get ready for this conversation <laughs> yeah. of, of really telling them what their problem is. They don't like and it. They don't want to hear no, it. No, it's cognitive dissonance. They, they, they look at you and they go, but yeah, do you have that new PC? <laughs> You're solving a skill problem with buying new equipment, which yes, is sir, not going to solve your skill problem. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I think this is one of the cornerstones of our whole philosophy on diving. I mean, what the re- one of the reasons we have this little podcast is there's a predominant view in the community that anything can be overcome with buying the right equipment. Any obstacle can be overcome with the right equipment. People come out of open water class with all this faith in equipment and that buying the most expensive equipment is going to make you the greatest diver. That is something I believe is input into most open water classes to a certain degree, whether it's overtly or covertly or subconsciously put in there. Well, that's uh, the industry at work. Right, and that's what I mean is they believe, they come out and go like, oh, if I buy the best, I'm going to be the best diver on the boat. Yeah, exactly. There, there hasn't been a strong push for that over the years because that doesn't sell as much gadgety equipment. Oh, no. So the emphasis hasn't been on instructors over the last 30 years to put out a high-quality student. Mm -hmm. It's been put out somebody good enough that they can buy a bunch of gear. And a good salesman. I mean, that is a big part of the major agencies training program but i but but this is where i come back all the time and and i and i look at this and i know you know this is that when you do put out that high quality student that's really ready to really do a lot in diving they are going to spend in the long run way more money yes on equipment and and travel than the guy who's just good enough to buy the highest end gadgety stuff once one little time and he'll quit diving and I think this is what needs to get hammered into the, you know, the powers that be in the scuba industry. If you make it so the people coming out of their classes are competent and confident, they're going to enjoy scuba diving a lot more, which means they're going to do it for a longer period of time, if not their entire life. Versus, thank you, ma'am, for your money. Here's your card have a nice time on your vacation that they're going to go to once and they never come back to diving. You know, you see people that don't have fun diving and I, I can recall back even when I was first started diving and getting small groups of people together and they were terrible in the water, terrible, but nobody wanted to put the work in. Nobody wanted to oh, go right, further. Right. Yeah. Well, it, because they've, they've been set up with a false premise because the, the class, especially throughout the yeah. the nineties and early two thousands was dumbed down to a lowest common denominator because they wanted the numbers of, oh, yeah. of, of divers out there. Well, when you take a poll, it says, what's keeping you from doing a scuba diving class? And they say, time, and the time, which means, well, they can't put any time into it. So we'll basically give them the answers to the test. Right. Uh, they, they, they can't learn the what shorter. you need to learn to be part of a three-dimensional yeah. world. Well, we'll just engineer some gear to do it all for them. Right. Well, well, not only that, we'll get some lawyers to tell us exactly what is the minimum we need to be teaching these people that our asses are covered when they die. Teach them to ditch the weights. Teach them how to blow and go. There's not, if you teach them that, never You're hold covered. your breath. You're they have no leg to stand on in court. None whatsoever. Well, they, they drown. They, they died from being overweighted. We taught them how to ditch the weights. It says right here, they checked the box. They signed their name. Uh, we taught them how to blow and go. They were found dead, you know, on the oh. bottom. Anyway. Okay, so. I'm not done. I am no. not done. So out of one side of my face, I'm like, come on, community, join hands. <laughs> on the other side, let's lynch up the agency's lawyers and uh, give them a taste of their own goddamn medicine. All right, guys. Well, hey, that was a great dive. That was, that was a, a good dive. That was a really good dive about nitrogen narcosis. Can we wrap it up? I mean, sum it up for people about this? Because I know we, we talk so much. I always like 
at the end of, you know, it's just like writing a paper. You got your, yeah, yeah. you know, body and then, of course, your, your summary at the end restating what we wanted to say, which is, are there ways to mitigate the effects of narcosis? And I would say yes. Well, there certainly are, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's the one way, which is breathe a different gas. Well, that's not even mitigating. I, oh, I guess it is. It is a mitigation of, of narcosis. But I think our aim today isn't to address, you know, the argument of deep air versus trimix or healing, using helium. I think our, our thing today really is how do I really uh, handle, in, in other words, and that's what I mean by mitigate, is handle the narcosis on a recreational dive in that 100 sure, how does the, foot how, range, So how does the recreational diver range. mitigate narcosis? narcosis. Right. And I think that's what John Francis was doing. He was trying to do. Article, I think right? some ten, of these uh, things were... ways to outsmart it. And, yeah. I th- what would you? I'm going to tell you my opinion. You tell me yours. I think some of his stuff was good and and really useful. I think some of his stuff was a little, you know, saying one thing and then backtracking on it and saying, you know, don't. Well, in I, other I words, get, don't over overload. But I'm going to yep, But yeah. I'm going to say, you know, for 10, 12 years ago when this article was written, I don't give a time in, thing. Well, Nothing's I, I changed in that. To come in and start mentioning inert gas narcosis and the effects of carbon dioxide maybe and, 25 years ago yes i'd give him something 10 years ago yeah, but i mean no still, way i mean you're still seeing in the the basic open water class from a lot of instructions still only mentions nitrogen narcosis so well, i give him some kudos in that and i thought I it was i thought he did a good job overall this was a, i thought this was real well done in a good way for a, a new diver that wants to that isn't getting the the more in-depth education outside of the recreational world to get exposed to understanding narcosis on a greater level. I, I thought that, that was pretty good. On my, my zero to 10 scale, you know, like uh, the article we had, well, what was good art? There are several articles, photography articles. I'd be given a nine, you know, a nine to 10 ish. This guy give a five, five to seven at max. All right. And the reason being is don't ta- don't overload task load yourself. Uh, every third breath, look at each other. Write down how to operate the camera. That right there, yeah, I know. those, I know that those two that things. I, yeah. I, I get it. I'm not going to be sleeping well tonight. I, I'm I'm seeing more of the whole article. You you got. I think you're perceptually perceptually narrowing into the. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Narc, wait a minute. You might be there, narc right now. <laughs> what is the a whole article is made up of its parts. What good is an article if a main portion of it goes against its overall premises, which is don't task load, and then a main portion of it is give these tasks to you. Okay, uh, sign these logs. Right. Let's, get, let's get out of here. Sign these log books. Get well soon. Love, Sammy. I'm writing my depth and my time. <laughs> Check. Remember to look at James every 2.4 inhalations. Thanks, guys. Safe diving, folks. And watch those gauges every two minutes. Okay, it's like um, ordering something at a restaurant. I'd like an omelet. You get your omelet. The eggs are cooked to perfection, but inside is a dog. Okay, what are you gonna? Well, I'm gonna say overall the restaurant was good. I'd go. No, this restaurant is not getting four stars for my critique. Wait, wait. You can't eat around the dog. No, no, I can't. <laughs>